Welcome to Manufacturing Matters, a podcast sponsored by Simsbury Bank. Hi, my name is Martin Geitz. I'm president and CEO of Simsbury Bank. Welcome to this edition of our podcast series. Today, we're going to be talking about transition and succession planning, planning for the next generation. The vast majority of businesses in the United States are privately owned. Unlike publicly owned corporations, private and family owned businesses without a solid succession plan often struggle when the owners decide to retire, become incapacitated, or die unexpectedly. Proper planning is essential for family businesses. Today we have with us four experts in the area of business transition and succession planning to discuss the challenges, surprises, and rewards to look for when thinking about transitioning your own privately owned or family owned business. Welcome to everyone. We have with us Capri Frank, owner and CEO of Miller Foods and Oma's Pride, an Avon-based fourth-generation family business. Mark Reich, chairman and CEO of Ironwood Capital, a private equity firm providing growth capital to middle market companies, most of which are family-owned. Pam Butterfield is the founder and president of Business Success Tools, and she is an advisor to business owners and leaders on creating organizational strength and long-term success. And finally, Sal Giuliano is the managing partner of Gitlin, Campisi, and Pendergast, an accounting firm working with small and medium-sized businesses and family-owned businesses with succession planning. So let's start off with defining what the difference is between succession and transition. I know with each of you having a different perspective uh, based upon what your firms do and what your experiences have been can bring a little bit of a different uh, color to each of these words. So maybe we start with Pam, succession versus transition. And I'll also throw in the term exit planning. So these terms a lot of times are used differently by different people um, and oftentimes used interchangeably. I think of transition planning as transitioning ownership of an organization to someone or something else. Very often there's the transfer of wealth, optimizing tax advantage, things like that. It's also transitioning who's actually going to run and manage the organization so that it remains um, successful. And business owners need to consider both things separately as well as together when they're considering moving away from their business. Succession planning is at the company level and really zeroes in on the people who hold certain positions in the organization. So you're looking at people and positions who does what and who knows what, and what's the risk to a company when people leave. Um, And as part of that, coming up with a succession plan, hopefully sooner rather than later, so you're doing proactive planning, so that you're capturing what this person who's running the organization knows and does. You're able to find the right person who can either do the the job or grow into it as uh, a vacant position or vacant positions occur. And also, support the incumbents so that they'll be able to be successful. Um, and, and success can take sometimes three months. It can take years, depending upon who's being selected to, to come in. Um, I think the other thing that's important with succession planning is, is it's the time to revisit positions that are, are either vacant or becoming vacant to see if the position needs to be redefined to meet current or future needs. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, who does this who does this matter to? And and I realize it's it's a huge galaxy of of uh, uh, constituents out there. Certainly, it's the management, it's the family, it's it's also your customers, it's it's uh, suppliers, uh, any outside investors. 
uh, near and dear to you, Marty, are the bank. When do you put, put together the plan and, and when do you start communicating this? Because uh, everybody wants to know whether they tell you they want to know or not. They want to know. Uh, and and the, 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 the more you, you um, uh, the better prepared you are. The, the more you've shaped the narrative, um, the, the more successful you're going to be in keeping those customers in place, keeping the bank happy, all the, all the groups that you need to, uh, to address. So it's multifaceted and pretty complex, but it doesn't have to be contentious. And to add what Mark just said, um, one, of the, one of the things that I find is that uh, business owners will sometimes put off looking at um, what they're going to do when they retire till they're too late because they don't have a safe, confidential place to talk. You don't start telling people you're leaving without having that plan in place or your customers will get nervous and, and leave. The employees will go, well, what's in it for me? And, and do I have a job? And, and, and you'll start getting people leaving because of the fright of not knowing what's going to happen. So that safety and that confidentiality is really important to get business owners to even start looking at the process. So Capri, as someone who's in the middle of a fourth generation family business, you've, your family has been through transition and succession. And so what is it like to actually be effective with that over, over the generations? Well, we have an interesting story. My grandparents uh, started their business about 50 years ago, uh, nearly 60 years ago, and they both died suddenly. So that is the risk. So that was a learning lesson for us. There was not a lot of planning. They were in their very early 60s, 61 and 63 years old. And they both passed away one after another. So we had a family business where we had my mother and my aunt who had worked in the business, but they did not work on the business. So there's a big difference between those two things. So they had active roles working each and every day very hard, but they didn't uh, get involved in the planning and the future in any kind of vision for the, for the company. So so my grandfather was kind of that visionary and he passed away. So they had a couple of decades where they actually struggled. Um, and I say struggled pretty mightily. It would have been helpful if they were able to identify what a succession plan would have looked like. Instead, they were left with somewhat of a mess. So they fortunately, they were able to dig themselves out of that. My aunt and my mother uh, were able to keep the business running and uh, created a new line of uh, pet food. So Oma's Pride is our line of pet food that has really uh, effectively been able to get the business from one space to another and been able to continue to grow the business, my mother and my aunt. But, you know, they're uh, in their late 60s, early 70s, and quite honestly, the word succession was scary to them. And I don't know what any other way to describe it, but every time you brought up the word succession, they didn't want to hear it. And so I started using the word transition because for me, it felt more comfortable. And honestly, that's what it was. It was a transition from one space to another. So I wanted them to have an opportunity to not feel that they were someone was um, taking their space, taking their spot, but rather than transitioning out and having a, a better feeling toward toward that. And they didn't have a model for that because their parents died. So I wanted to be sure that if I was in that position, I could I could facilitate that. So I did. And uh, one day, um, after many, many discussions, my mother decided uh, that she was retiring. So from a Friday to a Monday, it literally happened. 
And luckily, at that point, because of the lessons we had learned, so my advice would be, if I could offer anything to this conversation, would be to make sure you have open and honest conversations, even if they mean you don't want to talk about it. That just means someone's not ready or they don't have any idea of what they could do next. So I'm happy to say that in our family business, um, I love my new role. I've uh, recently uh, become president. I love my new role and introduced the fourth generation into our business. So we have four generations now, which is great. And I've already uh, tried to open the conversation up about my transition. So I'm going to call it a transition, but effectively, a, a succession is just a more formal term for people that have more knowledge about the topic. I think that people need to understand the topic a little differently. And family businesses, because it's it's not uh, specific to business, it relates to family and dynamics. And maybe there's a couple of different, you know, I have a mother and an aunt, and there's sides of families. So you want to be aware of how what that means. To that, so a little more uh, understanding about the family dynamics and themselves, I think, is helpful to create a better succession plan and essentially transition the company to a new, uh, you know, to new leadership. So Capri, when your mother decided on Friday that she was ready to retire, had the family done planning? Had you done some transition planning at that point, or were you then faced with how do we respond to this in very quick order? How did how did you handle that as a family? Well, we did do some, mostly discussion. It was not actually laid out formally. Um, how, how big is the family? And, and how many of the family members are directly involved in the company and how many of them have a stake in it? You know, who's, who's getting paid out of the company? Who's getting a stipend? And you know, what, what does it look like? Stipend, interesting. No stipends. Now you so you there's work. you gotta work. Yeah, that's there's good. five uh, active family members working, earning their living, and from our family business, and we have 25 employees. Uh, we had 11 family members, believe it or not, at one time, wow. and we decided that was just too many. So I talk about this openly, but I had a 24 year old son who I asked to retire. I said, I think it's time you retire a little early with no pension, but you must retire and go find something else. So part of this is identifying in a family business who are really the members that should be involved in the business at that time. Um, and we've had, you know, I've had a cousin who was very active at the, in the business at one time and currently is also uh, in retirement and looking to do, you know, different things. So I think it's having someone to lead that is really important. Fortunately, I'm a bridge in in age and generation between the generations. So I've been in this fortunate position of being able to uh, speak to the generation that has literally kept the doors open and done a fantastic job of creating a new product line and giving us an opportunity to take what we have and really grow that. And with a fourth generation, with technology and all of that, my oldest son runs our e-commerce division. It's it's interesting just how it's worked. But there are currently five family members that uh, do uh, actively work in the business. And, and do you represent two generations among the five? Are there two generations of family members? Three. Your aunt is still active? She is amazing. 
awesome. She is amazing. So my aunt and my uncle who have been at this for, you know, my uncle 40 years, my aunt 50 years, and they're incredible. And they still provide a tremendous amount of leadership and guidance and all of that, but they definitely have a different role. And so they've been uh, very welcoming and, and extremely helpful to me as I took on this new role and embraced that. So that's been helpful. But on the transition side, it can be extremely challenging. Ours was relatively easy, uh, easier than we anticipated, probably because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing because we did do a fair amount of discussion and open conversation and this is what it would look like. We didn't realize financially what how that would look. We, we really didn't plan that out as well on the financial side. But once we took a look at it uh, Friday night at five o'clock, <laughs> by Monday morning, there was a plan. You know, one of the things that's very different about what you and your family have done in terms of retiring family members when it's maybe not the appropriate fit for them, so many family, family-owned businesses struggle with that. And, and there's such a correlation with you know, transitioning to the next generation and it not working. And that's one of the primary reasons it doesn't work. It's probably why you're in your fourth generation and, and, and still thriving. Awesome. Well, we, we had just mentioned some statistics, right? Mm-hmm. 30%, right? Yeah, it's, you know, you're, you're to, to be applauded. Normally, um, business is not that forgiving that you've got a couple of generations to figure it out. 64% of business owners say that retirement and succession planning is their number one issue. 80% of companies don't have a succession plan. So it sounds like a lot of people think about it, but not many people do it. Um, well, one of the factors, truthfully, is a barrier to cost. You know, that's something that people think about. When you're running small businesses, considering the, the expense to that, what people don't take into consideration, which my grandparents did not, was that if you don't have a proper plan, it's someone's going to pay. So in that case of my mother and my aunt, they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. So it's critical that you really think about this now. If 80% of the people don't have a plan, even though they think about it, there is a huge opportunity for us to help educate people as to the why. So, so Capri, you bring up, you know, the, the, the important consequences to succession and transition planning uh, from a financial perspective, which is a nice segue perhaps to Sal. Sal, you have many clients that are privately owned businesses, family owned businesses, when as they are moving through their uh, generational life, I'm sure you must be brought in regularly to talk about the financial impact of different decisions that uh, might be made in terms of uh, moving to the next generation or uh, if there is no interest of the next generation, you know, finding a buyer for the value that's been created in this wonderful company, could you share with us some of your perspectives on the financial side? Well, I can tell you it's a it's a popular conversation with a lot of our small businesses, um, spe- particularly with the family-owned businesses. Um, so, for, you know, for for me, succession planning is really um, about the organization, where transition plan is really about the about the management, and it takes a third party sometimes to start the conversation because, as Capri said, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have with family members. Tempers get a little hot. Some some generational um, members of the family might feel that they're next in line for the presidency or they should be buying the company. So um, we have found that having a, a third party in the communication uh, for the transition seems to 
start the dialogue. And then from there, it might be, hey, let's start talking to an attorney, maybe start drafting some buy-sell agreements, some purchase agreements. Let's put it on paper, perhaps, for the transition. Um, and it doesn't happen in half hour or an hour, but at least the dialogue starts going going forward. Do you find yourself being asked to kind of be the arbiter or be the convener of the other family members to try to reach a consensus, reach a Well, unfortunately, in, in our situation, we get a lot of what do you think um, questions, and we try to stay away from that. You're really forced to start asking the questions with your clients about, well, who do you think is the next person in line? And sometimes they, they're, they're a little bit hesitant, but then when you just keep asking why, 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 they'll say, you know what? Johnny's really the first person. Yeah. So, Mark, you invest in lots of medium-sized businesses that are faced with transition and succession challenges. And what role are you sometimes invited into as a major financial investor in these companies? And what role do you find yourself needing to play sometimes when you're not necessarily seeing uh, action in this area that may affect your investment? What you, what you need in, in every one of these companies is a catalyst. Uh, hopefully, the catalyst is going to be the, the the CEO family member who's standing at the top of the, uh, uh, the the pyramid. Sometimes it has to be us saying we need a plan. In in most cases, we want that plan before we put the money in. So, Pam, your firm is exactly the group that comes into that breach to help the family with those very difficult strategic decisions around transition and succession. Could you talk a little bit about how you come into situations and, and how you can help facilitate the, uh, you know, reaching consensus? So a company has needs and those needs change as the company gets bigger and certain things get it. So there's the company. It's a, it's a legal entity that does, does stuff, produces stuff. Well, then there's human beings and they have needs and they have certain skills and abilities and passions and and sometimes there's a match and sometimes there's not. And there's nothing crueler than for a well-intentioned parent to take a child or a, a, a nephew or, or a family member and put them into a position where they're going to fail and they're going to take their family's company and ruin it. That is the most unkind thing to do. And I find that for children that go into family businesses to run the company, if they're not well suited for it and there's not a match, and I, I notice it's usually between the age of 37 and 43, that person starts to become very disengaged and almost feel as though there's golden handcuffs on. And they start not paying attention to their business. Uh, there tends to be an increased likelihood of alcoholism. I get a different kinds of things like that that start affecting them personally because they're now trapped in a business that they maybe thought it was cool when they were, you know, 24 to become, you know, on the fast track of, of owning and, and running a company. But it's just not working for them. And so to be able to go into an organization of, family-owned business and be able to help them at an early age, figure out what the company needs, and then who are the people that can best do, you know, do the work of the company and grow with it, make sure it's the right fit for them. Because at a certain point, you get that midlife crisis, and it's just not, uh, it's not good for the person, it's not good for the family, and it's not good for the business. 
Mark, you had some statistics on the percentage of businesses, family-owned businesses that get to the second generation or the third generation. It's fairly alarming how quickly the percentages decline. Could you share those with us? 30% of family businesses survive to the second generation. That, that's, a pretty, that, that, that's a pretty high mortality rate in there. And only 10% of businesses make it to the third generation. Again, Capri, congratulations. Thank you. Don't screw it up. <laughs> you know, I, I'm doing my best. I am doing my best. But it is interesting just hearing about this because you're coming at it, right, from a different perspective from these um, stakeholders and people that have invested uh, millions of dollars. And, and they're looking at it strictly from a business side. But if you're if, – if you are working with people that have family-owned businesses – there's a reality to that also. Mm -hmm. While you might not want to deal with that, and it's not something you're interested in dealing with, you are going to deal with it one way, shape, or form. So if you are talking about the best way to get those two resources together, it, you, you need to combine forces, right? So if you identify these companies and people are investing in these companies, um, how it must be difficult at that point to say, you know, this one has a family dynamic issue and this one doesn't. I mean, the reality is a business is an entity. Correct. Business is an entity. But it also is is functioning by people and people that own family businesses that have developed family businesses, grown up in family businesses are passionate. It's a child. It is. a. It's not an entity. It's not. And so there's some consideration to be given for that, you know, to that, but also the fact that family members have to understand that they've been given opportunities because of that, but identify who those people really are that are suited best for those businesses. So if you're at a point where you're looking for outside investors and you're looking to sell your business, maybe it's going to, um, you know, become owned by uh, employees, whatever that happens to be, there needs to be some focus there that gets put on the dynamic. That's, that's my take on it, only because I've seen and I believe those numbers are low because the emphasis isn't put on dealing with those issues. You have to identify those issues, get them dealt with so people are in the right places. If, you, if you're a, a CEO of an insurance company, right, they have things in place to be sure that their uh, HR department is making sure that people are in the right places. That doesn't always happen in family businesses. And that is, to me, where the big number of decline comes from and the lack of planning. Well, I think the key thing in this and in so many other aspects of life and, and business is just communication, communication, communication. Get those conversations going. They don't have to be formal. They could be over a cup of coffee in the kitchen. Uh, hey, what have you thought about? You know, this is what I'm thinking. But again, I think you know you got to have that catalytic event, and and it's ideal to have the the, the person at the top at the top of the organization driving it, uh, as long as they you know they're not fundamentally flawed. Ideally, it needs to start with that that person. Um, everybody knows there's an an inevitability to it, but th that person has to make the decisions. What do I want it to look like? Do you want to transition? Do you do you do you want um, you know maybe you give up the uh, the CEO title at the end of a year, and then after that you go on the board, or maybe you become a non-executive board. If you can do it over an extended period of time with a clear um, understanding, uh, a shared understanding of where it's going, what it's going to look like, and 
6, 12, 18, 24 months. That's the best. So in, in my business, a clue um, or a point to start talking about succession planning with our clients is when they start coming in, they start talking a little bit about estate planning. That tells you that they're starting to think about what the next generation is going to do. And of course, they want to leave as much behind to their family members as possible. So when they start coming in and start thinking about, so what would happen if I was to pass away? What kind of taxes would I would, um, pay? And um, what if I started gifting some of my stock to my, some of my, my, my kids? Or, or do I sell the company? What's the best transaction? You know they're starting thinking about the next, the next step. So that's also a key for the starting the communication. And, you know, at some point, we, take, we try to take to the next level. And then um, outside, the, outside of the estate planning, who really is in line for the succession or the transition? So, so Sal, your firm clearly sees, you know, lots of situations like this. And, you know, if Mark's data is, is uh, accurate, as I think, uh, you know, we all agree, um, how, how do you as the financial advisor, as the accountant, as the, you know, basically the trusted financial advisor, uh, what, what is the range of situations you've seen? How often do, uh, if, if most family-owned businesses end up selling, um, do you see them? Are there, are there any common themes in how they sell? Do they typically sell to employees? Do they bring in a manager who's going to be able to do a leverage buyout? I would say that it's all over the place. I will tell you that we've had some very successful, um, successful business transitions to this next generation, but we've also had some... Um, situations where the next generation just completely failed. They just were not prepared. They didn't have the leadership skills. Um, and and that's, that's, that was a tragedy. And the so, business ends up failing. And the, the business, they, yeah, they, they, they sell it for whatever they, they can get it. or yeah. just sell off the assets or close the door. And unfortunately, I've seen that uh, a number of times. The, um, the selling of the business, if, if, if the idea is to uh, take care of the family through the sale of the business and having um, a good selling price that sometimes because there's nobody in the, in the family that really wants to take over the business. I mean that we see that a lot. And um, in those situations, the next strategy is to try to find an outside seller. Um, and it's made a it's been made clear to them that that generation isn't really interested or doesn't have the ability. So, so the, um, the person, the bot, the, the, the owner of the company says, you know what, I have a son, but, or a daughter, and they want the business, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think they're going to be successful at it. They don't have what it takes, and they may decide to sell. And and that's that's the reality sometimes. And that's probably a um, a good decision for them because ultimately they want to preserve um, the money for the family. Yeah, preserve the value in the company and not let it get dissipated, which makes perfect sense. Um, Capri, you were talking earlier about um, you know the importance of of getting the right people in the right roles in the company as things evolve. Uh, and you mentioned at one point you had 11 family members in the business and now you have five. And uh, so how hard is it to have those conversations uh, with each other about whether one of the family members does or does not bring the right set of skills and talent to the company and its needs at the moment? So I think one of the uh, key points here is that it would be great if, if each family had a person right? That, that could facilitate that. But that's not always the case. And that's why there's all the resources that we have out there, right? So sometimes it's getting an outside facilitator just to kind of open up that conversation. How awkward is that to say, 
I think you might need to take an early retirement at 24. That's an, luckily, my, my nature is to be very open and loving and, and helpful. I, I, I want to be helpful to all our family members. So if I see a family member in a situation and they're in working in our business and it doesn't seem to be a good fit for them, I want to, my, my nature is to help them. But also, I want to make sure our business is successful. And one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking here is that there's this kind of a belief sometimes in family businesses that the business will be passed on to. That's not necessarily the case. Number one, you do not have to gift stock. You can sell your stock to a family member. There's many ways to do that. And I think that sometimes that eliminates a whole bunch of people right there. Right. You, you can identify the people. If you're going to be gifted something versus having to really purchase something, it makes you stop and think. And there's a, and, and I know for myself that actually happened. You know, I, I purchased the stock. So did I want to at my age, my 50s, did I want to purchase the stock if it was gifted to me? It would have been gifted to me. That would have been nice. But I honestly do think I take more ownership of it, and there's a different feeling between the gifting and the and the purchase. So uh, transfer is key, how how people transfer their businesses. You, I'm sure you see that in, in these different families. And I often wonder if um, people were less willing to gift so quickly. Um, maybe it makes sense tax-wise. You know, it might, it might have better tax uh, consequences, um, but, depending, but, but as something you say, to think you know, about. As, as a family member, if you're being asked to mm-hmm. financially invest and put mm-hmm. your wealth at risk in the company, yeah. that has got to, at some level, create a whole different focus on what you're doing for that well, company. It's a new dynamic. You're yeah. taking people out of the mix, and maybe you put new people into the mix. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's another way of looking at it. But the hard conversations are really about finding out who really wants to make this part of their day-to-day life. I mean, it is a commitment. And there's a different dynamic. My son was in town. He is a fourth generation. He runs our e-commerce. He he works remotely from New York City. The first time we've had a family member running a, a complete division and not working actually in our business, at our facility in Avon. (laughs) It's just an unusual situation that occurred, and we said, let's try it. It's highly successful, and I think one of the reasons why he's been able to be successful is because we've taken what he can do and then be able to say that is the right fit in terms for him, and the right fit for us is because he drives business. So, And he tends to be more, uh, more productive when he's outside of the office. Because the dynamic inside the office, there's a lot going on. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the, the, the whole issue of, you know, how many family members and what skills they need to bring to the business on that theme. One of the things we've seen as bankers uh, through the economic cycles is that when things are going well economically, the business may be able to support many family members. However, in a recessionary environment, it may be that that particular firm is really adversely affected by the recession, and it just can't support all the family members anymore. We don't need those roles anymore. Uh, have you had experience in your consulting with uh, uh, you know, helping companies right-size their uh, company uh, for, for the economy and what the opportunity is uh, and make those tough decisions about how many 
and and what set of skills you need to have to run the business as a family. You know, one of the things that I have family businesses do is I have the businesses, the golden goose <laughs> lays the golden egg. And we look generationally at how many people are, are chipping away at the the golden egg. And so, you know, if you have the original, you know, parents and then they have two kids and then the they, they have families with two children, and then there's a divorce, and now there's a third family. And, and to get people to understand kind of that, how many people are chipping away and expecting uh, that, the, that the business is going to support them, and then based on that, do a scalable model. And, and there are actually models out there that will um, help companies understand that based on the size, how many people they should actually have working in it so you can scale up and scale back based on the the stage of of growth. Um, I think the difficulty comes when you have to lay off family members. And one of the things I try to do there is, again, help the business. Because if it's a down economy and the, and the company is struggling, now there's an awareness that, you know, we might not be able to survive. So you need your bestest and brightest actually figuring out how to do things. And at that point, that can sometimes be a catapult to we're going to get rid of a bunch of family members and bring in people that can actually right the ship. They've they've worked in down economies, they've worked in struggling companies, and they can get us back on on track. So that can actually be a catalytic opportunity to bring in different people to to run the company. You'd be surprised though, if if the business is doing not doing well, and there's only so much to distribute to the owners. Usually there's a volunteer and the family member says, you know what, I have to support my family and what I'm drawing from, from this business isn't going to be enough and I don't foresee the near future of it you know, improving. A lot of times it's, it's just it's kind of like a natural progression. You know, It's just, all right, I'm going to leave and then perhaps down the line I'll, I'll come back. But I see, I see that a lot. That's a pretty courageous act, uh, almost a selfless act uh, and, and that well, when you have to feed your family and there's only so much, somebody eventually is gonna is gonna um, not play chicken anymore and is gonna end up, you know, swerving to the side, mm -hmm. and that's that's happens often. The golden, the golden egg. Perhaps it's not this... as noble a decision as I was characterizing it as. <laughs> I think there might be this notion sometimes of the golden egg, and maybe there is, um, but I, I think the. Uh, the idea of that, it, it can be a bit hard as a family uh, business to wrap my head around. It's like, geez, there's a golden egg. Is there really a golden egg? But I do know what you're saying. You know, there is. The business is. It's if, if it is run properly and you have the right people on board and you have a successful business, all family members can benefit. I recently created a, a summit for our family of fourth generation. So we call it uh, G3B, generation three and beyond. All eight family members, all cousins, uh, came to the table, every single one of them, wherever they lived and wherever they, we came together. We walked our land because we have a nice piece of property in Avon and it has our business. And that's where my family, uh, you know, started with the, with the chicken and the egg and the whole thing and the farm. And that's another piece. You can get family members on board in different ways, you know, so there is that golden egg there if they want to put some effort in to make sure that, that they keep shining that up.
because if they don't, you can't just chip away at it. And we're not in, we personally, our family business is not in the business of gifting it out, you know, in terms of stipends and that sort of thing. We don't, we don't do that. So we, I wanted to bring this crew together and say, hey, we have an opportunity. There is a golden egg there. There is. There actually is. It's a beautiful piece of property. But what are you, each, every one of you, going to do to contribute to that to make sure that we continue to build on a legacy that we have as a family? Because, you know, it's, it's a gift. And um, it hasn't been gifted, but it's, it's a gift. So I love that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that at my next G3B Summit. Well, I think it's it's important for for people to to not think of it as some sort of entitlement program. And again, I think that's communication and repetition. Uh, it's a business. First and foremost, it's a business. It's financial. It's marketing. It's all those things about a business. Um, and you may be able to uh, derive some some benefit out of it, but that's the gift. And we've got to have the best people there. I'd like to just shift gears slightly for a moment. Uh, so one of the bright spots in Connecticut's economy at the moment is manufacturing, both aerospace-related and defense-related. And uh, it's trickling through all parts of the supply chain, you know, from the largest employers to suppliers to those large employers. And I'm just curious, uh, among all of you, is this uh, kind of manufacturing resurgence that we're seeing in Connecticut uh, you know, there are many privately owned companies that are suppliers to Pratt & Whitney and to Electric Boat. Is this creating more opportunities for privately owned and family owned businesses to continue to operate independently? Uh, and or is it creating more opportunities for people to, you know, uh, you know, find a buyer as opposed to continuing to run the business themselves? So I'm just curious. Mark, well, I think, I think it gives people more options. Uh, it it uh, I, I don't. I don't think it it obviates the the, the family dynamic of, of of a business, but if you've got more options, that 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 that's good. Well, I'm pretty excited about Connecticut. In this, you're right. If in this economy in Connecticut, if you're a manufacturer, you're not doing well. Maybe consider getting out of manufacturing because they are really hot right now. Um, they can't find employees. Um, it's a good place to be in the manufacturing, and of course, manufacturing also means you have to have really highly skilled. Employees, which also means that the management needs to be highly skilled. So it's not so easy just to transition um, the business because you have to have really high skilled um, individuals to run the company. Um, however, the values of these companies are going through the roof because they're so they're they're so busy right now and they're and they're making some significant money. Pam, any any observations here? And and going back to the idea of succession planning, there are so many. Um, very experienced and skilled workers that are retiring, the larger manufacturers, the Pratt & Whitney's of the world are gobbling people up and being able to pay bigger salaries. And so the smaller companies are struggling to find people. And one of the things that um, is a particular struggle is if you are running a manufacturing company and you don't care about your people or the older workers are grumpy and don't do anything to help the younger people, the younger people will come in they won't stay and they'll go to your competitor. So there's that kind of a dynamic in terms of there's enough work to keep people really, really busy, but you've got to not only bring people in, but then give, treat them correctly so that they'll want to stay, else they won't. 
It is an exciting time in Connecticut for it manufacturing. Is. I mean, we manufacture a food product, multiple food products. So, and we don't have that high level of skill that's necessary because of the type of products that we do manufacture. But I do go to a lot of different um, events where, where there's manufacturers there, and there is a lot of excitement around that. And I think that right now it's it's more critical than ever that people that they're busy running their businesses, right? When business is is running and they're and you're growing and you're active, there's less time for planning. And then what happens? And these these are important channels to feed these these large uh, you know contracts. And look what's happening here with Connecticut. So I think that it's important for people that are in, in the growth part of their business to, while it's it's exciting and you want to keep just keeping, you know, keep focused on that, is really that's the time to take a step back and say, if something were to happen today to leadership, what would happen to the business? And these are critical components to all of these, especially with the way Connecticut is and and how there's, uh, you know, one feeds to the next, to the next, to the next. It's, it's interesting. But Personally, I think it's a great time, even in food manufacturing. It's an exciting time for us. It's great. Well, it's been a great conversation, and I just wanted to uh, see if there are any you know, final comments on this topic of this important topic of succession and transition that we didn't touch on. And anybody have any final, final words? I like communicate. I, you, you said that a couple of times, and someone said that to me right before I left to drive over, and it's critical. Communication is so important. And try to open up the conversation in your own families, you know, about transition and, and what does that mean? And and maybe uh, ease up a bit on the succession word um, because it, it is a little bit scary to family members. It feels like, like you said, there's a ne- what's the next step? That doesn't sound good. So maybe transitioning um, helps to ease people uh, into a new space. I'll conclude, succession planning is about building leaders with the effort starting today, not at some point in the future. There are businesses which are legal entities, and they have business needs, and there are people that make those businesses run, and you have to pay attention to both of them. One final note I'd make is resources. There are plenty of resources out there for privately owned businesses, family owned businesses, and whether it's the kind of consulting that Pam's firm does or the kind of financial advisory work that uh, Sal's firm does or people who are active uh, like Capri. Uh, Capri is very active with the University of Connecticut School of Business Family Business Program, which is busy doing research in family business dynamics as well as constructing a curriculum uh, that is available and becoming more available for folks to study different aspects of business uh, with, from a family business perspective, which is great. So we're really fortunate in Connecticut to have great resources available to us uh, and uh, something that uh, uh, I think will help us grow in the future. So I'd like to thank you all very much for participating in this podcast. Uh, Great insights, and uh, hopefully our listeners will enjoy it very much.